Our scripture this morning is Luke 19, 28 through 44. I'm going to read this for us. After he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter, if you will... And as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground and you and your children within you. They will not leave within you one stone upon another because they did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, our hearts are open like palms. Lord, we pray that you'd set there the seed of your word. Tend that seed, may it grow within us, and bear good fruit, not only for ourselves, but the whole world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus is uh, coming into Jerusalem. And at this moment, he's on the top of a mountain called the Mount of Olives, and he's looking at Jerusalem, and he's sort of like us right now, or we're sort of like him, where we're, we're looking at the edge of Holy Week, everything that's going to happen, everything that's about to go down. We're, we're sort of right on the edge, perched on the edge, looking at all, and Jesus is doing the same. And he's thinking about peace. He's thinking about the things that make for peace. We often think about this week in strictly in terms of a problem to be solved. We think, what's the problem? And how does it get solved? The problem is mainly our problem, and so we tend to put at the middle of this week ourselves. We think it's primarily about us and what we've done wrong. But if we look at what I just read, if we look at the way the week starts, we're going to see there's a lot more going on here than just solving a problem. 
We have to start the way the week starts. With the king. Most of this passage is weird. This is the king. The king is riding into town. And most of our passage, especially this part about him riding into town, is all about these strange arrangements he needs to make regarding a cult that he needs to ride on, that he's never ridden on. He, he tells them what to say. He knows where to find it. It's got to be a certain cult. Not a certain kind of cult, but he has picked out the cult to ride. And it has to be one that's never been ridden on. That's most of the beginning of our passage. When he actually rides into the city, we get like two verses. This is no ordinary king. Kings at this time were kings who had to prove that they were kings. These were kings with swords. These were kings preparing for battle. These were kings ready, to, ready for the showdown, who needed to show their strength and prove, I am a king. Uh, Jesus is more concerned with the cult that he's going to ride on. This is no ordinary king. This is not a king who needs to fight. This is not a king who needs to do battle. He's not going in to do battle with the devil. That's not what Holy Week is about. Who would he battle with? Who, would, who could be a match for God? Even if Satan rose up and said, let's do this, let's have a showdown. Every atom of his being is held together by the word of God. Who is a match for this God? And so when he goes into town, he goes as the king, but not as one who needs to prove he's a king. And so he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on my cult. Now, why would he do that? Why would he spend all his time focusing on a cult? It's, we get another picture of this a little bit later when, uh, when, when the Pharisees are upset with the disciples for saying that he's king. And he says, he says, look, even if the Pharisees weren't talking, you'd have to shut up the stones. The stones are telling everybody that I'm king. The word here is inevitability. I'm so much the king. I'm so much the ruler of the universe right now that I can't even help this. He's the king not just of this little, you know, Jewish province, the corner of the Roman Empire. He's the king not even just of the world. He's the king of, of all things, of the whole universe. He's the king of all creation. He's the king of everything that's ever been made, everything that will be made, of all things. This week is a week about God. And right away we see that God is here not to do battle. God is not here to inflict violence. God does not need to do harm in order to accomplish what he is here to accomplish. He's not obligated by somebody else to get someone murdered or punished, especially his own son. I want to be clear here about a couple things. One is everything I'm going to say this morning about what happens in Holy Week is as old as the hills. I didn't come up with anything new to tell you this morning. You know, if you're, if you're wondering who said this first, you can talk to St. Paul or a guy named Athanasius 
or Irenaeus or you know all other weird Greek names. I'm just saying some old, old stuff that's been said continuously for 2,000 years. No new ideas here. I'm also not trying to expound some special atonement theory. Every theory comes up short compared to the actual story of what God does in this week. Every theory. And every theory has something to it as well. I'm here to talk about the story of what happens. But I am hoping to clarify a couple things. Some things I think we actually have done wrong about what this week is about. And I'm going to insist on a few things. And the first thing I'm insisting on is that God doesn't need to do violence to do anything. God is here to make peace. And I'm going to talk about how God makes peace. God is not a thing in the universe. God is not above. God is not beyond. We don't know. We're incapable of imagining without space and time, but God created space and time. So what we can say is that whatever God is doing, like create the universe, create us, whatever it is, ride into Jerusalem on a cult, God does these things in complete freedom and therefore love, unalloyed love. Now, I'll kind of come back to what I've just talked about. I'm going to kind of leave it for a second. I'm going to try to hold it. And I want to talk about this second part. It was, I think it, um, uh, Sammy and I have talked a lot about that this week, that you can't really talk about Jesus' triumphal entry without talking about Jesus' tears when he's grieving over Jerusalem. And so I want to talk about these tears and then go back to what I've said earlier. Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. In a way, this is sort of his first official act as king. He has now declared himself as king, and the first thing he does is not slay his enemies. The first thing he does is get up and weep. He looks out over this poor city, and he grieves. He grieves not for what's going to happen to him, but he grieves for us because we don't know the things that make for peace. We don't know the things that make for peace. Now we can talk about our problem the problem that gets addressed in Holy Week. We have sometimes thought of our problem with God as a distance problem, a proximity problem. We just can't get close enough to God. We try, we try, but we can't. I hardly ever see this in the Bible. Most of the time in the Bible, people are quite close to God, but they just don't like it. It's very uncomfortable to be so close to God. In fact, they, they try to get distance from God. The problem is not proximity. The problem is peace. How? How do I be with God? How do I relate to God? How do I have this closeness with God? He is much too close for me. That's a problem with each other, too. Of course, our mind goes to global issues, and we think about peace in the world. We think about peace right now in Europe, two countries that are right next to each other, two countries that, are, frankly, are, are quite dependent on each other in many ways and have had a lot of intermixing. We're talking brother against brother here in this war in Europe. It's not that they're far apart, it's that they don't know how to be together. One of our oldest and most painful conflicts is the conflict in the Middle East. 
two people who have been there for thousands of, thousands of years don't know how to be together, don't know how to live together. That is peace. That is a problem of peace. We have plenty of people around us, but it's very hard to get along. It's not that we don't know where to find people, it's that we don't know how to be with each other in a sustained way. We don't know what makes for peace. We don't know what makes for peace with each other. We don't know what makes for peace with creation. We don't know what makes for peace with God. In Jerusalem, in about 40 years from this moment, there will be a massive catastrophe, a bloody battle with the Romans, untold people will die. That's that whole dark section there where it talks about stones falling, children dying. It's a horrifying scene. And Jesus grieves it as we all should grieve because we don't know what makes for peace. They didn't know what made for peace with Rome. That's our problem. What does God do about it? I'd like to give us a picture of what God does about this. I know we have Holy Week as a picture, but sometimes the picture is so big and, and sometimes our theories are so thick that we can't see through them. Um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a simpler picture, a picture of just broken pieces. I've, had, I've kept this for a really long time. I have a, an old chalice, old communion cup. I brought it with me from seminary and, um, and it goes with that plate that we use every Sunday. A friend of mine made it, um, made the plate, made the chalice. Clearly this thing is busted. Now, interestingly, it wasn't this broken before this morning. Uh, it was only a couple pieces and I had the thing on the table here and I scooted the table and it toppled over and it broke even more. So it's even more pieces, and, and honestly, you know, I love my friend, but she made it maybe not the best. It, the, the base is not very thick, and so that is a lot of our problem. Um, but this, this thing has been just um, broken, but I could never bring myself to throw it away. I just I couldn't do it. And so I've been holding the pieces of this thing for several years, I think, now. Um, and we have one with a wider base that seems to work really well. And so there's no reason for me to hold it, except I just had to. I had to hold on to it. So I got, I got thinking about these, this broken cup as I was thinking about Jesus you know, weeping over the city, over Jerusalem. And, and, it, and it also reminded me of um, a, a Japanese practice called Kintsugi. And, um, Kintsugi is a um, sort of an art form, and it has to do with um, broken pottery. They they have, they value pottery a great deal, and um, some of these pieces are. There's a story that they tell about one piece of pottery that broke, and uh, it was a gift from China, and so they. They sent word. They sent it back and said, "Can you replace it?" And they said, "No, it's impossible. It's one of a kind." There's no way to replace it. Um, and so what would happen is, is a pot or something would break and what would happen is a, the tea master would just hold the pieces, sometimes for generations. So sometimes someone would inherit the pieces of a broken pot and, and live their whole life with these pieces and then they'd die and they would, they would bequeath 
the pieces of broken pot to somebody else for several generations, these things were held until someday they might be repaired. This is what Jesus is doing in the weeping. Do not think he's weeping because he's sort of powerless. He doesn't know what to do. He's sort of stuck. This is not a passive response to all the ways that we can't make peace. What Jesus is doing there is he's, 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 he's performing a prophetic act. A prophetic critique over a city that's bent on violence as an answer. Violence that discards and replaces instead of holding, insisting on holding the pieces of humanity. God does this. God holds the broken pieces of humanity and does not discard any of it. God will not let go of any, any piece of humanity. It's a powerful act of resistance, actually, against all those who would kill and destroy and discard in order to bring about peace. You see the difference? Hold the pieces on the one hand or discard and start over. God holds all the pieces. There's a story about um, how the Kintsugi tradition started. There was a very, very powerful man in Japan who ordered tea. And his, there was a young servant um, who brought him the tea and on the way bringing the tea, dropped the pot, things shattered into pieces. And this powerful man who ordered the tea went to strike the young man, but someone else came along and said, wait, let me, let me just gather the pieces. Takes the pieces, gathers them up, takes them away for a little while, brings them back, and has not only mended the pot, but in all the places, the cracks where it would have been broken, had mended it with this mixture of lacquer and gold. And so every seam gleamed in gold and had somehow turned this broken pot into something that became more beautiful, more precious and more valuable than it was before it had been broken. Holy Week is not just about fixing a problem. What God does on the cross and the resurrection is not just a solution to a difficulty. It's not just a repair and it's not even just a restoration. That's because at the center of this week is not actually our problem, but at the center of the week is God. God is at the center of this week and God is more concerned about a cult than he is about a military strategy. And so this week, is about God stepping into every single part, every crack, every break you can imagine, everything that it means to be human, which began in his birth even. It began even before his birth. It began in the heart of God before all creation even existed. He steps into humanity, drinking all of humanity down to the dregs, discarding nothing, stepping even into our shame and our fear, and finally our death. Jesus steps into all of it in order not simply to glue it back together, but to make everything somehow more beautiful, more lovely, more gorgeous, more good, and more real than it ever was before. Jesus' peace is a newness that is like gold. Is there a repair that goes on in Holy Week? Of course there is, absolutely. Are our sins forgiven? Yes. 
Is the debt paid? It is paid. The judgment on us, now on the judge? Yes, it is. See, we, amen. Whatever language you want to affirm that in, it all happens. But that's not all that happens. If that were all that happened, if Jesus was only sort of like a divine fixer, if his reason to exist was to suffer for us, then our relationship would be a little like, um, I, sort of like uh, Superman and Lois Lane. Uh, you know, we don't, get, we don't get like what their marriage was like after everything happened. You know, but can you imagine being married to Superman? Like if you have like a fight about the dishes, all he has to do is say, Lois, remember the earthquake? I flew around the world and made it go backwards and time reverse for you. I think you can unload the dishwasher. <laughs> you know, that's sort of what it would feel like, right? It would be sort of this like weird, weird imbalance where like you try to have a relationship and you're just always remembering like, oh man, yeah, you like lost all your powers and you were in rough shape. That's a bummer. It's not like that. Holy, Holy Week is the culmination of God drawing near to us and drawing near to absolutely every single thing we experience, including our shame. You know, the crucifixion is mainly about shame. This was an honor culture. You know, I mean, people died all the time, but the shame was, was an unbearable horror. And the crucifixion was all about shame. He steps into that shame, he steps into that death itself, he steps into all of it in order not only to get close to us, not only to fill the cracks and the fissures of our lives wrought by violence and sin, but he steps in to fill it all with gold. It was in God's heart before time, before creation. So, not only is our debt taken care of and transferred to him, but he transfers to us this wild, inheritance of abundance that we would never have otherwise. Not only are our sins given over to the one who becomes sin for us, even though he knew no sin, but his righteousness then gets moved over to us. Not only is our death passed over to him so that he experiences death, but the lamb is passed over to us to become the main course of a great feast. You see, it's totally lopsided. It's totally imbalanced. The little problem that we have is nothing compared to the gold of what he gives to us. It's outrageous. This is for you Anglicans. Remember, you know Anglicans, you know the priest says, um, you know, Christ our Passover lamb is sacrificed for us, therefore let us feel bad. No, that's not, that's right. What is it? Keep the feast. Our, our, the sacrifice does not mean always feel horrible. The sacrifice does not mean be so depressed this week. The sacrifice means feast, celebrate, be joyful. You are sitting pretty forever. Oh my goodness, this is outrageous. This is what we get transferred to us. Listen up, people. <laughs> Where are your fragments? Where, where, where is your, your cup that was maybe not made the best? Uh, where, where are the pieces of that? 
Are they hiding? Have you, have you put them somewhere? Have you stuck them in a box? Did you stick them in a cupboard? Do you, are, you, are you keeping them out of view? Bring them out for this week. Pull them all out. Even, even the stuff that's like a little bit, ooh, I don't know, Eddie. Like, that's a, that's a bad one. That, that, there's no way that cup's coming back. Or I've lost pieces. You know, I did, actually, this morning I was looking for this thing and I thought I'd lost some of the pieces. And I, I just thought, what does God do then when there's no pieces? But anyway, we bring it all out. You bring it all out for this week. Gather them up. Gather them together. And bring them to that king who's like, makes like a big deal out of getting a cult. Who's not planning a military strategy. Who's not worried if he's going to win. Who's just like picking out his cult. Bring them to him. He won't lose a single piece. He'll bring it all together. He'll hold it for you. And he'll promise to transform all those pieces that you have shattered, whatever, return them to you, new, somehow more glorious, filled with gold. Because that's how he comes to us. At the, end of this, at the end of this week, he comes to all of us, even though he was broken, even though he was shattered, he visits us again with scars, and those scars are somehow filled with gold. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Please join me in prayer. Father, we lift up to you um, the offering such as it is, which is um, the pieces of our lives. Lord, we trust you with all of them. We trust you with them because we see, we see what you've done in your son. And we live in hope of the same new life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again to these doors. Amen. Go to peace.